Well, good morning again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That was that was weak. Let's do it again. That's the youth pastor in me. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There we go. All right. If you have a Bible uh, or a phone, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, if you didn't know, that's known as the resurrection chapter. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. A little bit of an, more of an apologetic approach, I guess. Um, I'm going to read you a longer section from 1 Corinthians. Um, and uh, then we will kind of dig in. I'm going to read verses 12 through 34. Uh, and I'm just going to let you know now, there's going to be some kind of like, wait a minute, what kind of stuff in there. Uh, but hopefully we'll work through some of that uh, today. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins." Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, quote, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. There's a lot there. There's like a 52-week sermon series just on that text, right? Um, and so obviously today we're going to be talking about the resurrection. That's what we celebrate on Easter. And I know some of us are a little more uh, sensitive about calling it Easter and not Resurrection Sunday. Uh, whatever you want to call it, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on this day. And that's what uh, really every Sunday for us Christians is. It's like a little mini Easter, and then we have the big Easter once a year. But why is the resurrection significant? This is the question, right? Why should we care about the resurrection of the dead? Why did the Apostle Paul, who we just read uh, a portion of a letter from, say that if it's not true, then his own writing and preaching is not even valid? Like, why has he put this importance on it? 
This is what I want to think through with you today. And if you're here, you have doubts, you have questions. If you're a Christian who's been a Christian for a long time and you still have a few doubts and questions, welcome home. Uh, We all struggle. Uh, I want you to know that those are welcome and we invite those. So if the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is true, which is my presupposition, that's what I believe. That's what I hope you will believe, that the resurrection, the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is true. That's my presupposition that I'm going to start with today, then I would argue that unbelief is actually implausible. That to not believe in the resurrection, if it's true, is is implausible. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, then that gives validity to not only what the Apostle Paul is saying here in this text, but it also validates what I'm doing right this second, preaching the good news of Jesus. It validates the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But again, if the resurrection is not true, then all of that crumbles. Everything would and should change for those of us who embrace the resurrection if it's not historically true. Like, I know we kind of made light, uh, you know, it was kind of cute to watch kids explain the resurrection, but it's not a fairy tale that kids tell. We think this is a historical event that took place. And if it's not, then that would and should change everything for those of us who embrace it as true. If the resurrection isn't true, the Bible itself just said that it's ridiculous for us to believe anything else. If the re- Let me put it in terms that will affect us today. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is not true, Christians believe in a conspiracy theory. That's what it is, okay? If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, there is no good news. There is no gospel. Timothy Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, an author I would totally recommend you read, he said that the resurrection is the hinge upon which the story of the world pivots, So what we believe as Christians about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead or the the doctrine of the resurrection, which means what we believe, has huge implications for how we actually live our lives now. Um, The historical event in the past of the resurrection and the future event of the bodily resurrection of human beings who have trusted in Jesus has very deep, profound meaning for how you see and live in this present reality. The resurrection changes how we see both life and how we see death as well. It changes how we experience the realities of life, the joy, the beauty, the hope of life, and the pain and the grief of death. It changes those. So here's where we're going to go today. Paul addresses this topic in three ways, and we're going to talk about the realities, the implications, and the applications. Okay? So that's where we're going. So first, the realities of the resurrection. Okay, what is, when we say resurrection, what do we mean? Now, all of us, including Christians, including me, right, right now, including every Christian who's ever lived, I would argue, have a hard time accepting that somebody can actually be dead and then resurrect from the grave. Not resuscitate from a coma, that's one theory. Not just be kind of knocked out and come back, like resurrect from dead and be alive again. Medically speaking, dead, pronounced dead, and then rise from the dead. But as Christians, we do believe that. But if you tell me as a Christian that you've never at least had some wavering in your ability to accept that reality, I would just push back on you and say, you're not being totally honest. Every Christian struggles with, wait, how does this work? right? Resurrection is hard for us. 
One of the things that happens, though, when you have this conversation about resurrection and the writers of the Bible, we do this thing where we think ancient people like, didn't know as much, so they weren't as smart. So, of course, they accepted stuff like this. But that's not actually the case. They're not more gullible and uninformed than us. Maybe there hasn't been as many discoveries as there are now. But they didn't have much easier of a time accepting resurrection either. Um, ancient people had just as difficult of a time. I think in some regards, more difficult of a time because they saw death a little bit closer than we in our modern kind of Western uh, lives do. So death is death, right? It doesn't matter what era you live in. When somebody dies, it's death. So resurrection was just as kind of a ridiculous of an idea to the ancients as it is to a modern person, maybe in a different way, but people have a hard time believing that somebody's going to come back from the dead. That's not a, a, a time thing. So for the Greeks of Jesus' time, the idea of resurrection was actually unthinkable to them because of their worldview. They had a view of the world that separated the spiritual or the, the inner self from the physical. I actually think we're entering into that kind of world much more now than we even realize. They consider the spirit and the soul, or maybe we would say my true self, to be good, and their physical bodies to, if not just be ugly and evil, to be kind of unimportant, that our physical selves don't matter that much. So for them, resurrection creates this difficulty in reconciling the renewal of a physical body. So for the Greeks, even Greek Christians who Paul is writing to here in Corinth, their worldview just is not compatible with a bodily, physical resurrection from the dead because it, it just kind of injects this tension into their worldview. Now, the Jews are a bit different in that they do believe in a resurrection at the end of all things when everything will be remade. But there's only two explicit references to this in the Old Testament, Isaiah 26 and Daniel 12 and so the Jews, they did anticipate a bodily resurrection, but they thought it would be at the end of all things, not right in the middle of history. So for Jesus to resurrect from the dead kind of messes with their understanding of the eschaton or the end of all things, and it's difficult for them as well. Now, what's interesting is that there's actually quite a lot of evidence for the historic, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That there is the historic evidence. There's even some well-known atheists who agree with this statement. Uh, Anthony Flew, who is a famous atheist, become theist. Uh, he's one of the most respected, well-known atheistic philosophers in the last 50 years or so. He said this, the evidence for the resurrection is better than for claimed miracles in any other religion. It's outstandingly different in quality and quantity from the evidence offered for the occurrence of most other supposedly miraculous events. So there's a lot of historic evidence. Now, as I said, Flew eventually became a theist, but he did not become a Christian. Okay? Though he thought the evidence was strong for the resurrection, he never fully embraced Jesus as his own. I think that if we're honest, anyone, though, would want the resurrection to be true, right? Even if you're an atheist, you're like, I mean, it sounds like a good idea. Sounds like something we want, that there's something after we die that's good. Even if you don't believe that it is, I think probably most of us want, would want it to be. But if there's no apex, if there's no sort of crescendo towards which all of history is bending, we Christians would ask the question, 
What's the motivation then for good and right things like justice for the oppressed, care for our environment and the creation, legislation that promotes human flourishing for as many people as possible? What's the motivation for that if there isn't coming a renewal of all things? That's our perspective. As Christians, we think that resurrection gives the context that makes all those other things have a point. Like if this life is it, then carpe diem, right? Live for today. Why strive for these good things? See, resurrection means that this world matters. Your body matters. The physical creation matters and God cares about it. Many of us, if we could see ourselves clearly and be intellectually honest with ourselves, which is pretty tough, right? Because we're skewed by ourself. Uh, we, we probably would fall into a belief that's kind of like those ancient Greeks we talked about, where we sort of split the physical and the spiritual. This is how many people view religion. Religion takes care of the spiritual, but it doesn't really touch the rest of my life. And this is one of the critiques of the church right now. And frankly, it's a pretty good critique that all we care about is souls and we don't care about people's lives here. But resurrection tells us, no, no, God cares about this life and these bodies right now. This physical reality matters. N.T. Wright, a famous theologian, And a writer says this, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters, right? God created it and he said it was good. He hasn't changed his mind about that. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is not just something we believe in because we think there's good evidence, although we do think that. We believe in it because it's central to who we are as Christians, right? There are some things within Christianity that we call open-handed issues, There are things that if you can differ on these and it's not that big of a deal. Did you choose God or did God choose you? We can both be Christians, right? There's a a number of these topics. Should we baptize babies or baptize adults? You can still be a Christian and do either one. But the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is one of those few that if you don't hold to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you're outside the bounds of historic Christian orthodox belief. And in this text that we read earlier, that's what it's getting at. If there's no resurrection, everything falls apart. Here's the things the apostle Paul tells us are going to fall apart if the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not true. His own work as an apostle is in vain, which is kind of a bummer because it gives his whole life to it. Gets bit by a snake, shipwrecked, thrown in prison, beaten. All that's in vain. That's rough. The Christian faith itself is in vain. He says in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Again, you're just believing stories if the resurrection isn't true. Paul is then a liar, the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament or much of the New Testament. So you can just throw away a bunch of your New Testament if this isn't true. Verse 15 He says he's found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. So if that's not true, he's a liar. Fourthly, the Christian faith is futile. It accomplishes nothing. And so the sin problem we have is still a sin problem that still needs a solution. He says in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. The promises of a new heaven and a new earth are empty. There's no afterlife. There's nothing for those who've died. In verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have just perished if there's no resurrection. The present life experience of Christians is pointless and you should make fun of us. 
That's what Paul says. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied if the resurrection isn't true. So for Christianity, literally everything is riding on this being true. And we admit it openly in our sacred text. Everything is riding on the resurrection being true. And if it's not true, then not only are we wrong, but we're really badly wrong. And the Bible kind of says we're foolish. And and people should feel bad for us. There's no middle ground. Without the resurrection, Christian ministry is pointless. Personal, Personal faith is ineffective. God's character is called into question. Christians still need the salvation we say we have. And any sense of future hope in God is removed. And our present experience is meaningless if there's no resurrection. But what if the resurrection is true? then everything we just said is true in its opposite form. The church that Paul is writing to here in this text that we read from hadn't taken into account the significance of the resurrection. They didn't realize how much was riding on it being true. And so some of the people in the church that Paul is writing to failed to understand that the Christian idea of resurrection, the Christian doctrine of resurrection from the dead, is not just about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead in the past, although that is true, but it also includes the reality that all those who love Jesus, who believe and trust in this, will be themselves resurrected physically and bodily. And how that's going to work, I don't know. But look at verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 15. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then in his coming, those who belong to Christ. So how is God going to resurrect our physical bodies? I don't know, but we also believe he created everything out of nothing, so it should be okay for him. Right? So this idea of firstfruits means that Jesus' resurrection is a prototype for all the resurrection that his followers are going to experience. Jesus is the first, most prominent, and most important resurrection, but he will not be the last. Many of us as Christians have an incorrect view of what will happen, uh, what's coming for us in the future. We're not going to be disembodied souls in heaven, and you're not turning into an angel. Okay, Nobody turns into an angel. I know you're thinking of somebody like, definitely not that person. Nobody turns into angels when we die. We will be, those of us who trust Jesus will be resurrected to live with God forever in renewed bodies that don't decay and die like these ones do. Renewed bodies that don't decay and die like these ones do. Now, I want you to see the hope wrapped up in that. And the call to live now wrapped up in that. Because if these are the bodies that we're going to have forever, that God is going to renew, if this is the creation that God cared about enough to resurrect Jesus from the dead bodily, then how much should we care for it? And there's hope wrapped up in that. The historic doctrine of the resurrection that Christianity has held to for millennia makes us more interested in how we live our lives now, not less interested The resurrection has huge implications for how we live our lives because it helps us put into perspective the single most common human issue that everybody who's ever lived has had to deal with, and that is death itself. Everyone who's ever lived has had to come to terms with the reality of death. Some of us try to take the passive approach. We avoid talking about death at all. We try to ignore its reality, but the last, what, 13, 14 months have made that pretty tough. 
Some of us uh, do everything in our power to, to ward off the approach of death, right? And then some of us maybe embrace death by trying to twist it into something good when it's not. Even the church at Corinth, who Paul is writing to in this text, are trying to deal with death. They're trying to figure out what do we do with this reality. They're having these weird baptisms on behalf of the dead that we read about in verse 29. That's one of those when you read it the first time, you're like, what? Paul uses this apparent practice in his argument with them about the resurrection. Remember, he's writing to a real church that he knows. And so everyone has to deal with the reality of death. And there tend to be kind of three main categories or buckets that people will use to help them explain the meaning of death. Because this is what we do as humans. We are meaning-creating machines. God made us to create meaning about this, why we love art, why we make music, why we do all the things we do. And so the first of these is that our body and soul just cease to exist after death. You might have heard this called annihilationism. So in this view, there's just nothing after we die. It's just that's it. We just cease. This often leads a person towards that live for today attitude that Paul actually talks about in verse 32. He says, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now there's tons of people who have this view and are amazing, great people. So don't hear me saying that they're like bad people. They just, I'm just saying, I don't think they really have a solid reason why. The second view for dealing with death is more of a a mystical view where the body ceases to be, but the soul continues on. Many ancient people held that the body is just intrinsically evil, but the soul is good. This was a heresy that the church dealt with that, quite frankly, I think is raising its ugly head once again. This is a really common view among people. Even we Christians fall into this view sometimes. Uh, It really is just this sort of dualistic view of death. Body is just like this tent that we wear, but our real self is inside. But in Christianity, this is a sort of Christianity that tends to care very little for creation, tends to very, not care very little for how we treat the physical world. Like God's just going to burn the whole thing anyway, so whatever. But the third view is, I think, the historically Christian biblical view, which is that the body and the soul continue to exist by way of resurrection. Now, we could do a whole thing about soul sleep and the in-between time. I don't know. I'm not here to answer that question today. This view, though, is a holistic view uh, that it takes into account all that God has made us. He gave you a body. It's good to have a body. Your physical body is a gift from God that he cares about. We are a soul and a body, and resurrection deals with both. Now, there's no reason to believe this unless death has been defeated. And what we're saying is that this is exactly what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, that death has been defeated. Jesus has defeated death itself. He has swallowed up death by death. Jesus Christ, by his resurrecting power, in one of my favorite lines, I think it's a line from liturgy or a song, I can't remember, but he has trampled death by death. That's what I want all of us to know today, whether you hear this for the first time or this is the millionth time you've heard this and you need to be reminded of it. Jesus Christ's resurrection means that death does not have the final say. Death is not the final chapter for us. In Jesus Christ, death is just a doorway that takes us to presence with him forever if we know and we trust him. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ 
has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, that's the first man, so also in Christ that second man shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ. See, the resurrection of Christ was not just a one-time event that's never to be repeated. Instead, it's the first fruits of a greater plan that God is enacting. In farming terms, first fruits is the very first showing of a given harvest. It's the first fruits. And so if the first fruits are good, that means the farmer usually can expect a great harvest. So if Jesus is the first fruits of something God is doing, that means what God is doing is even greater than what he did in Jesus. It's only the beginning of God's plan to bring resurrection to all of his people. I'm going to keep reading you verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. So so we find ourselves as Christians, as the church, we find ourselves in this time in between the first historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate on Easter. That's what this whole thing is. And we are in between that time and the time when all of those who would trust in Jesus Christ will experience physical bodily resurrection themselves at his return when Jesus will set up his never-ending kingdom in which there will be nothing but enjoyment in the presence of Jesus himself. This is a vision for the future that God has for all things and that he has for you and your life as well. This is the vision that God has, that Jesus will ultimately destroy every evil, every ruler, every authority, every wrong thing wrong thing, every power associated with death, sin, and decay, and he will establish a new kingdom that will last forever, that will be free from death, sin, and decay. He will make all things that are associated with sin vanish. Now, I know that as soon as we start talking about the end of all things, that creates a lot of questions, right? Like, well, how's it going to happen? Are we going to rapture pre-mail, post-mail, what's all that, right? And, and there's a million questions. And as I said, Christianity is not afraid of those questions. I would say Christianity is kind of built on those questions. When people start asking those questions, we develop theology to answer that and understand the scriptures even more. But what I hope you'll hear today is that the resurrection of Jesus is God's way of breaking into the death and decay of your life right now. God is breaking in to your life right now. The resurrection of Jesus is God's plan for bringing resurrection to your life. And so resurrection power is at work even now in God's people, right? The scriptures say the power that was at work, which raised Jesus from the dead, is now alive and at work in you. And so the invitation for all of us is to trust in Jesus, so that the victory Jesus gained over sin and death in his burial, his death, burial, and resurrection becomes your victory over sin and death by faith. 
And so there, there's coming a day for those of us who believe and trust in Jesus when death and sin are no more. And for his people, the only thing that remains in that day is life with Jesus, which he said he came to bring you life to the full. And so we believe that this faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the only way we can overcome the death, the pain, the struggles, and the wounds that are represented in this room. Every one of us walked in here today with some struggle or pain or grief. Some of us may be in here or watching online don't think that the resurrection is true. And if that's the case, I just want to invite you, push on you to take that belief to its logical end and be intellectually honest as you do it. I think you'll find that really there's not much in the way of hope if you follow that path to its end. If there is no resurrection, then this life is all that there is. If there is no resurrection, this life is all you have. And if this life is all you have, it can be taken from you in a second. A phone call, an accident, a virus that you can't see in the air and you breathe it in. Right? This last year has taught us that. It has exposed us to that reality. And so I would ask you to consider deeply where the significance of your life comes from. Does it come from possessions? You can lose those. Does it come from accomplishment? That can be taken. Does it come from family or relationships? So many people this year learned the hard lesson that those can be gone before you thought so too. And so maybe this is you and you find yourself on the never-ending kind of hamster wheel of trying to find significance and that's why you're always looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it's not really working because you know that no matter how, uh, what amazing things are happening in your life right now, you're closer. We can all feel that clock. We're closer and closer to death. It's just the reality. It's not that we're trying to scare anybody. It's just the reality of the world we live in. But if the resurrection is true, which I'm pleading with you to believe that it is, then we can have a profound hope. Like, no matter what happens in this life, we can know that the sin and the evil of this world, ultimately, which is death itself, does not have the last say over you. We can live lives of risk and adventure for Jesus, for the sake of his kingdom, because we can't lose. Like, this is why the Apostle Paul says, if they kill me, I go to be with Jesus. If they leave me alive, I just keep preaching the gospel. Nothing could shake him. Because we know that resurrection is coming. We, we don't have to worry about making sure every aspect of our lives are safe and secure because we know that we cannot ultimately lose our life. Death doesn't have the last say. It's a reality, but it doesn't have the last say. See, resurrection gives Christians what the living for today attitude seeks to actually find, the ability to truly enjoy life without ultimately fearing its end. Resurrection allows us to put the things of this life into true perspective. We can let the things in life that are really light and momentary actually be light and momentary. Right? We don't have to get so overwhelmed with worry because we know how the story ends. But we can also know how to have a proper perspective on what does actually really last. Resurrection gives us the right framework to see 
what pursuits in this life are worth having because they're an investment in the life that's coming for us in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm guessing that some of you are sitting there thinking, I know some people who are Christians who worry and who live for today, right? Me too. I do too. And a lot of Christians who are very afraid of death. Yes, we Christians, we got to be reminded. This is why we meet every week and remind ourselves of the resurrection. We're a forgetful people. One of the refrains you see in the Old Testament is remember so you don't forget. We're going to participate in communion in a little while. The whole point of communion is to remember. This is why every Sunday for us is like a little Easter where we retell and reenact the resurrection story to one another. The resurrection tells a story, I believe, with the most beautiful, the most happy, joy-filled ending. The, the end of human history is that God is victorious, and those who trust in Jesus are given the gift of God's victory and the gift of presence with him. He, he's going to renew the entire creation. He's not going to burn the whole thing and make a new one. He's going to renew the one that he made that he called good to be what it was supposed to be. And so the resurrection is a picture of what the future will look like. Why do we have difficulty dealing with suffering? Why is it so hard for us to, to deal with death? Why do we worry about potentially losing our life or money or power or influence or whatever? It's difficult because we think that this broken world that we can obviously see is broken. We think that this broken world is all we're ever going to have. And yet God has put eternity in your heart so that you will not be satisfied with this world. And so God is inviting us to see that ultimate certainty has already been gained for us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's offer to all of us, whether you're online, you're in the room, wherever you are, you're hearing this a year from now on a podcast or something, the resurrection offer from God to all of us, no matter who you are or what you've done, is that we can inherit the resurrection life of Jesus as a gift by faith in Christ. This resurrection in life in Jesus helps us to look suffering and death in the face. We don't act like it's not there. It's there. We know it's there. We look suffering and death in the eye and we see hope because Good Friday didn't have the final answer. Sunday morning had the final answer. Death will not ultimately have the victory because of what Jesus Christ has done. This would set us so free if we believed this with everything that we are, because Jesus Christ lost everything for those of us who believe. He was abandoned, betrayed, so that you never have to be abandoned and betrayed ultimately. And he lost everything so that we cannot ultimately lose anything. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this reality. We thank you for this celebration this morning. And we thank you uh, that your word stands, that this story that we find in the Gospels that is talked about all throughout the New Testament, that this chapter of Scripture is really dedicated to defending and breaking down. We thank you that all of this is because the resurrection is a reality that is true. We look forward to it, and we long to see others come to know and love you so that they can experience resurrection power and life starting right now in their lives as they live for you in this world awaiting the world that is to come. We pray this in Jesus' name.